The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister, Kevin Jones. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the family and friends of the UK serviceman killed doing his duty and serving his country in Afghanistan on Monday. We owe him and all others who have lost their lives a deep debt of gratitude. Mr. Speaker, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Kevin Jones. Speaker, can I add my condolences to the family of the brave serviceman killed in Afghanistan this week? In the last few weeks, the uh, world has seen a devastation by a cyclone in Burma, earthquake destruction in China, and now the spectre of possible uh, famines of a generation ago uh, in Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa. Would my right hon. Friend agree that the test by which the international community and developed world will be judged is how they uh, respond to those crises and the uh, cries from some of the poorest in the world? Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House uh, will wish to join uh, me and others in sending condolences to all those who have lost their lives in China, where 40,000 people have died as a result of the earthquake, in Burma, where we estimate that up to 200,000 people have now died as a result of the cyclone, and all those who are suffering as a result of famine, which is now hitting uh, Africa again in this uh, generation. Uh, I think that the rescue effort uh, in uh, China has been one that has uh, uh, been heroic, uh, and thousands of lives have been saved, and we are now sending aid for shelters uh, to China, as well as giving them help with equipment. I think at the same time, however, that the progress in Burma remains slow. Uh, and we have uh, worked with the Asian group of countries and with the United Nations Secretary General. And I believe that Asian aid will now flow into uh, uh, Burma with the permission of the Burmese government and there's to be a donors conference uh, this weekend headed by the UN Secretary General in Rangoon. But we continue to hold the Burmese government accountable uh, for the loss of life and the suffering of their people. As far as um, Africa is concerned, the Secretary for International Development will be announcing uh, new aid for Ethiopia and other countries that are hit by famine. Six million children are likely to be affected over the next few months, and I think this makes the case not just for action on food shortages, but also makes the case that has been put by the Foreign Secretary at the UN Security Council that we do now need a civilian standby humanitarian and reconstruction force that can work quickly with the funds that are necessary to move immediately whenever there are disasters threatening in the world. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the British soldier who was killed in Afghanistan on Monday. He died serving our country, and we should all honour his memory. Can I return to the issue of Burma? And everyone is grateful to, for the efforts that the government has made over the last week. And it's good news that UN Secretary Ban Ki-moon is visiting Burma later this week and the donors' conference the Prime Minister has spoken about is very worthwhile. But the situation on the ground remains desperate. Can the Prime Minister tell us what his assessment is of the percentage of people and the number of people who are still without aid three weeks after the cyclone hit? I agree with uh, uh, the, the, the Leader of the Opposition. It is a small fraction of people who are still getting aid. Uh, aid agencies, uh, particularly British agencies, are getting aid to people. But the key effort is now going to rely on an ASEAN mobilised effort. As a result of the decision of the Foreign Ministers on Monday, we will put our resources behind that. So will the Americans and so will the French. So will the ships that are now uh, at the coast of uh, uh, Burma. And we hope that as a result of that, aid will now get very quickly to the people, people of uh, uh, Burma. 
So it is the combination of Asian aid, and I've been in touch with the Prime Minister of India, Singapore, and Thailand, uh, asking, and Indonesia, asking them to move things forward as quickly as possible. It is a combination of the Asian effort, which now the Burmese government are prepared to accept, uh, and uh, the United Nations pushing with a conference this weekend that I think can start to make the biggest difference possible. As I said, I hold the Burmese government responsible for what was a natural disaster turning into a man-made uh, disaster. At the same time, we continue to look at all the other options, as I said last week. And the general view, again, from aid agencies on the ground is it is better to work through the Burmese government to get the aid to people as quickly as possible uh, rather than use the other options which may be available to us in the future. And that is where all the efforts in the next few days uh, will be focused. Clearly, we all agree about the frustration about these slow progress. And from the UN, they estimate that it's actually less than a quarter of the people affected that are actually receiving aid. I put it to the Prime Minister. Is there not a danger that the junta in Burma are just doing enough each day to prevent the international community taking those further steps to make sure the aid gets through on a huge scale? He said last week that he doesn't rule out direct aid. I think he's absolutely right that the efforts by ASEAN to open up the country are the best route forward. But can he give us his latest assessment on how direct aid could be delivered if it had to be delivered? Isn't it the case that for too many people in Burma, time is just running out? What's changed in the last few days is the determination of the Asian countries to take action. I spoke to the Prime Minister of India and he has uh, moved to the action that is necessary now agrees by the Asian foreign ministers. I spoke to the Prime Minister, uh, the President of Indonesia and, of, and the Prime Minister of Singapore, and they too are behind this major effort that Asian will now mount. So what has changed is that while Britain and France and America were pushing for aid to go in in the last uh, few days, the Asian group of countries are now going to coordinate action, and that will be backed up by the donors' conference. I agree with them that aid has been too slow. I agree with them also that the Burmese regime have made it impossible in some cases for aid agencies to do their work. But what I do believe is has happened in the last few days is the Asian countries have been seized of the necessity of them taking action. And every phone call I've had suggests that, as well as the visits of Lord Malak Brown to the region. And that is what we've got to monitor over the next few days. Now, I don't rule out anything, but I, I think he would agree in talking to the aid agencies, Save the Children, Oxfam, the World Food Programme, which is acting on the ground in the area, that they still believe that food drops uh, or other drops of aid would be counterproductive, and they still believe that military intervention would be counterproductive at this, at this, at this time. So let us hope and let us push the Asian effort forward, and I think the whole, of the, the whole of the House, given the scale we now know of the loss of life, would wish that to move forward very quickly now. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I wish the Prime Minister well with his efforts and thank him and the Government for keeping us regularly updated on this issue in the House. While what has happened in China is also a huge tragedy, and the Prime Minister and I both went to the Chinese Embassy yesterday, it has in a, in, it, we mustn't let it knock off the front pages what is happening in Burma. I'm going to turn, if I may, to an issue uh, of domestic politics. It may be one that explains the slightly emptier uh, House of Commons today. Tomorrow, people in Crewe and Nantwich will go to the polls in a by-election. The, the abolition of the 10p tax rate is clearly a huge issue. Can the Prime Minister tell us whether the 2.7 billion compensation package will be continued into the next financial year? We've already said that we want to continue to help those who were affected by the 10p rate. And the Chancellor... And the Chancellor will announce in the pre-budget report, but perhaps he has a question uh, that he might uh, answer. Does he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have announced. We, we, we have announced. We have announced a 2.7 million package, billion package 
to help 22 million people in this country, to give lower taxes to those who have been hit by food bills and fuel bills, and the opposition cannot tell us whether they support it or not. And the reason they cannot tell us why they support it is that their priorities for tax cut are not our priorities. Their priorities are inheritance tax, stamp duty on shares, corporation tax. Let us give the tax cut to those who need it, and that is lower and middle income families in this country. Uh, the whole House will have noticed that was no answer to the question at all. The man, the man sitting next to the Prime Minister gave a slightly straighter answer when he was on Newsnight. Jeremy Paxman said, so this is for one year only, and it's Alistair Darling, the Chancellor said, yes, I made that clear this afternoon. So shouldn't everyone conclude this is a one-off, one-year-only change the government giving some people some money this September and taking it all back again in April. It is just one tax con followed by another. The Institute for Fiscal Studies have said today that even after the changes, almost a million families will still be worse off, and they're amongst the poorest, and a total of 18 million families will be hit when the changes are reversed next year. Will the Prime Minister confirm those figures? The Institute of Fiscal Study has also said that in the last 10 years, the group that has benefited most from a Labour government are the lowest income groups in the country, who are more than 10% better off. And they would not have been better off if we had taken the advice of the Right Honourable Gentleman, who tells us that he wants to introduce a budget which abolishes all of the endless reliefs and tax credits to create a basic rate of tax and abolish the top rate of tax at 40 pence. Now, that is the policy of the Conservative Party. We want to help lower and middle income families in this country. They want to help other people. He still has not answered our question. Does he support the 2.7 billion? The last time I looked, this was still called Prime Minister's Question. This, this isn't like his thing on YouTube, where you ask a question now and he gives you an answer after the 21st of June. <laughs> He absolutely wouldn't confirm the figures. Will the Prime Minister tell us this? He brought forward his draft Queen speech. He introduced a mini-budget, all because of the by-election. So can you tell us this? Why hasn't he had the courage, why hasn't he had the courage to go to Crewe and Nantwich to explain these points to people on the streets of those towns? Mr Speaker, he, he knows that it's the tradition that Prime Ministers don't go to by-election. But let me, let, 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 let me also say this. The people of Crewe and Nantwich, as the people of the country know, that 22 million households are better off by £120 as a result of the tax changes that we have made. And they know that we put £2.7 billion into doing so. What they don't know is whether the Conservative Party are going to support these changes. We are the party for low and middle income families in this country, making them better off. They are the party that would prefer tax cuts for the richest in the country. I think the Prime Minister must know that the Labour Party will never be taken seriously again as the party of low and middle income families. It was 5.3 million low income fam people that he hit in order to clamber abroad the Premiership. Now, the Prime Minister talks about this great tradition of Prime Ministers not going to by-elections. Let me remind him about what his predecessor, Tony Blair, said on his way to a by-election. I have never understood the recent convention that Prime Ministers stay away from by-elections. I'm joining the campaign trail because this by-election matters. I believe in leading from the front. <laughs> Instead of leading from the front, hasn't the Prime Minister just put himself into his bunker? Once again, Mr Speaker, he never addresses the questions of importance. 
He wants us to believe that the Conservative Party are the party that helps the poor, but he opposes tax credits. He wants us to believe they help the low paid, but they oppose the minimum wage. He wants us to believe the Conservative Party are the party of the family, but they voted against maternity leave. He wants us to believe that they're the party of 10 billion of tax cuts, but they won't tell us the consequences in public spending cuts. He can get by without substance for some of the time, but he'll never get by without substance all of the time. May I advise the House that this morning I withdrew my bill on temporary and agency workers following yesterday's groundbreaking agreement between the government and the social partners. This is surely the best way to, uh, to address unfairness in the workplace. Will my right honourable friend use his good offices to continue in this vein and to demonstrate the differences between us and the official opposition who in committee have said they are opposed to equal treatment in the workplace? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I am grateful to my honourable friend uh, for raising the issue of agency workers in his bill in the House of Commons and he will be pleased that it is now going to be possible for us to legislate in the next uh, Queen's speech uh, for an agency workers bill in Britain. And I'm pleased that the CBI and the TUC could reach agreement about a way forward to deal with what was an unfairness uh, practice against agency workers that allowed British and other workers to be undercut as a result. I hope that all parties in the House of Commons will welcome this agreement between the CBI and TUC and I hope the Conservative Party will change their mind on the agency workers bill. But of course, of course it is very much in keeping with a Conservative Party that still wants to get rid of the social chapter. I'd like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of the British serviceman who uh, tragically lost his life in Afghanistan. And I'm sure the whole House uh, agrees that uh, a failure of, it, of our mission in Afghanistan would be catastrophic. An increase in terrorism, more hard drugs on the streets of our towns and cities, instability in the region, more suffering for the Afghans themselves. But will the Prime Minister accept that perhaps more could be done to explain to the British people why success in Afghanistan is so vital, and perhaps that we need to be more candid about how long we will have to stay there? Does he agree with me that stabilising and rebuilding Afghanistan could take 30 years? and that Britain must be ready to make that commitment. Mr Speaker, it will, it will certainly uh, take time, and I hope you'll agree with me that uh, what we are doing in Afghanistan is the front line against the Taliban and them ever returning to power. It is a battle against uh, al-Qaeda and those people who want to use Pakistan and Afghanistan to bring al-Qaeda back into power. It is also a fight, it is also, it is also a fight that we are having to re-establish government in Afghanistan under President Karzai. And I hope he will agree with our strategy, which is to use uh, military force, but also to build up national and local government in Afghanistan and to give people a stake in the future uh, by promoting the economic development of the country. So the strategy that we announced for Afghanistan, backed up by 7,800 very brave troops that are in Afghanistan, is to move not just by military means, but by civilian and local government reform and by economic development that will bring hope to people in the country. Clegg, I'm grateful to the Prime Minister for that reply. That being the case, does he share my concern that much of our defence expenditure continues to be misallocated on Cold War priorities? For example, we are committed to spending 
uh, £6 billion on the Eurofighter, but we're failing to deliver enough of the right kinds of armoured vehicles to our troops on the ground in, in Afghanistan. So, so will the Prime Minister now commit to undertake the first strategic defence review in 10 years to ensure that our troops are properly equipped for the new kinds of conflict that they are now facing? Speaker, I, I think he, he might know that we've spent £6 billion on urgent operational requirements in addition to the ordinary defence budget for the work that is being done by our troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think he'll also uh, know uh, that when it comes to uh, giving our fighting troops the equipment that we need, we have made major investments both now and for the future, including in tanks and helicopters for Afghanistan. Uh, and when it comes to Eurofighters, these are strike aircraft, and I think he will recognise that they are of use in the theatres of war in which we are operating. But I think he'll also welcome the announcement yesterday that the aircraft uh, carrier order will go ahead, benefiting almost every shipyard in the United Kingdom. Dennis Skinner. This is the big one. Uh, does the Prime Minister agree uh, that uh, 30, 30 years ago, the Labour government then introduced what's known as short money, which enabled the opposition parties to have it £4.7 million in their case, £1.7 million here. Does he also know that a top committee of the House recently uncovered large donations going to the Tory shadow cabinet? Is, isn't it like the old familiar story, claiming benefits from the state while making money on the side. Mr Speaker, it is true the Conservative Party received £4.7 million from the short money, and perhaps a new value for money inquiry can look at it as whether it's money well spent. The 10p tax con has been an unmitigated fiasco, not least for hard-working low-income families. Will the Prime Minister now accept personal responsibility for the whole sorry episode? Well, perhaps uh, if he holds these views, he will support our measures that 22 million people get £120 as a result of the tax change announced by the Chancellor. And perhaps he will break with his opposition front bench and give us full support for the measures we're bringing forward. What am offered? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. TALUS is a global company producing aerospace and technology and engineering for all of our constituents. 9,000 of them in the UK, 2,500 of them in Crawley. They have a thriving um, apprenticeship scheme, a graduate programme. Does the Prime Minister agree that this is a true reflection of what's going on in our constituencies up and down this country? Training opportunities for our young people to get into decent jobs. I, I welcome the work of uh, Tallies, which is a company that is working both in my honourable friend's constituency and around the country, and is incidentally part of the aircraft carrier order as well. And I welcome most of all two things that are happening in the British economy. First, we have more jobs in Britain than ever before in our history, 29.5 million. And secondly, that we have restored the apprenticeship, which was dying out in 1997 when we came into power, and now there are 180,000 apprentices in this country. And that number in my honourable friend's constituency and other constituencies will continue to rise. It's unfortunate the Conservatives can't support the increase in apprenticeships that are taking place. 
Of the Human Embryology Bill on Monday and the decisions we made make it possible for the motor neuron disease researchers to explore new options to find a cure for this dreadful and invariably terminal disease. Uh, the Prime Minister will be pleased to know that the International Symposium to Consider Options for Cures is coming to the United Kingdom later on this year. If I make representations to him on behalf of the Association, would he consider addressing that symposium? Well, as, as uh, the Honourable Member knows, I, I've met uh, him and other members of the Neuro, uh, Neuro, Neuro Association, and I've, we've, talked about how, we've talked about how we can work together to increase research in the future. Uh, and I have to say to him that the benefits uh, that come from the embryology bill on Monday uh, will not go just to research into that area, but into many areas uh, where life-threatening conditions uh, can now uh, look forward uh, to there being a potential cure for the future. Uh, but I look forward to talking to him about addressing his association. Andrew Love. There is a growing disparity between the doom and gloom in the national media and independent economic forecasters who are still... <laughs> Who, who are still forecasting that there will be growth in the economy this year? Who are we to believe? Mr Speaker, the British economy was one of the fastest growing economies last year, and this year, and this year the estimates is it's still going to be one of the fastest growing economies in the G7. And the reason is that we have got inflation lower than other countries, and the reason is also that we've got more jobs than at any time in our history. And we will continue to take the right decisions to keep inflation low and interest rates low in this economy and to keep employment up. And while unemployment is 8% in France and 8% in Germany and rising very fast in America, employment in Britain is at 29.5 million, the biggest number in our history. And I would have thought members opposite would welcome the fact that the British economy is creating jobs, not criticise us. Paul Beresford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree with me that many of the Commonwealth nations, especially the old Commonwealth nations, are our stoutest allies and long standing. There are kith and kin reasons for this. A number of these nations, especially Australia and New Zealand, are extremely upset at the government's proposals to cut visa, visitor visa times by half and to remove the patrial entry to this country. Will he heed these protests and go back to where we are now? by removing these suggestions. Yeah. 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 Well, well, obviously, we'll look at these issues uh, carefully, and we have had representations from the government of Australia and New Zealand. But I have to say to them also, we are introducing what is an Australian-style style points system for migration into this country, and a lot of the changes we're making flow from that. Bonnie Campbell. Mr Speaker, thousands of workers every year contract pural plaque uh, a leader to asbestos, asbestosis, uh, a horrible death, uh, a long and tireless death. Can the Prime Minister give these men any hope of any compensation in the future? Yeah. Uh, I, I met a delegation of, of uh, members of Parliament concerned about uh, plural plaques, and this is a serious issue that has arisen as a result of a High Court uh, judgment. The Government is proposing to bring forward a consultation document on this uh, issue in the next uh, few weeks. We are looking very carefully at the representations that he and others have made. We are very sensitive to the fact that people with uh, plural plaques may themselves suffer from asbestosis and other diseases. 
uh, as a result of their exposure to asbestos, uh, and we are determined to do what we can to help them. And I think you'll look forward to the document we'll bring forward in the next few days. Gregory Campbell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There is to be a presidential election runoff next month in Zimbabwe. Uh, given the result of the last electoral contest there, what plans does the Prime Minister have to have discussions with leaders in southern Africa to make sure that on this occasion corruption, bribery and the brutality of the regime is brought to an end through the freely expressed views of the people of Zimbabwe? Mr Speaker, in the last elections, the main uh, observers were those from SADAC, from the South African countries themselves. And he's absolutely right that uh, people expressed a huge amount of disquiet, uh, not just about some of the practices at the election, but also about the huge delay in publishing the election results. Uh, I think he will find that the international community, including the Secretary-General of the United Nations, is pressing on the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission and the Zimbabwean government that there be international observers from a far wider range of countries than previously. And I believe that there are now discussions about observers coming from the Caribbean countries and perhaps from Canada and other parts of the world that will add to the international observers uh, from the South African countries. I think it is very important, if there are to be elections, given the violence that has happened in Zimbabwe, and given the fears that people have about the role of the military in the elections, uh, that there be sufficient observers so that the process is seen to be free and fair. And we are determined to back up all countries that are pushing for that process to be free and fair. Jim Cunningham. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I ask my honourable friend what more he can do to help small businesses and, more importantly, look at the question of cutting red tape? Mr. Speaker, the best, the best help for, for small businesses is to keep interest rates low so that they are able to invest for the future in an expanding economy. And the best thing we can do to help uh, small businesses is to make sure that our economy continues to grow by all the decisions that we make. As far as uh, bureaucracy and red tape are concerned, he will know that we are moving towards what is called risk-based regulation, where instead of 100% of forms and 100% of information requirements having to be met, and, and, and instead of 100% of firms having to be inspected over a period of time, we do this on a risk basis so that only a fraction of firms would need to submit information or be inspected or have to meet the information requirements. And I think risk-based regulation for small businesses is the way forward, and we are in discussions with the CBI and other organisations about implementing it. Brooks Newmark. Thank you. Does the Prime Minister share my concern that, according to Home Office figures, domestic violence has almost trebled from 241,000 to 658,000 incidents in the past year alone? Yet the conviction rate has fallen from 11% to a paltry 5%. Mr. Speaker, one of the reasons why more people are coming forward to report domestic violence is that we're making available far bigger advice services and far more support for those who are the victims of domestic violence. And I hope when it comes to taking the action and the expenditure that is necessary for these advice services that he'll renounce his membership of the No Turning Back group and support the additional public spending that is necessary. Uh, Mr Speaker, around the world and in this country, millions of people are concerned or suffering at rising food prices. What can the Prime Minister tell us about the prospects of an early agreement in the World Trade Talks? Mr Speaker, the World Trade Organisation have published yesterday their papers uh, so that we can make a, a move forward in getting a World Trade Deal. If we could get a World Trade Deal, we could resist the protectionism that is now about in America and in Europe 
and we can move towards a greater degree of free trade that would benefit the poorer countries of the world. And it would indeed help with agricultural subsidies being reduced. It would help us to deal with some of the problems of food shortages. Now, I hope that around the world we will now get support from the governments of the world to conclude a world trade deal. And I'll be working very hard with our G8 partners and others in the hope that at this 11th hour, where we now need a trade deal now, or it will be delayed for a great deal of time, we can make urgent progress in the next few days. Welcome, Bruce. As a Scottish Member of Parliament, the Prime Minister will know that the Scottish Executive has postponed much-needed capital investment uh, in order to work up their own alternative Scottish Futures Trust. Yesterday, they published details of outlined proposals for £150 million, a fraction of what is required. Can he confirm whether this requires Treasury approval, if it would be forthcoming, and how much-needed projects like the Aberdeen Bypass, which have been delayed by the SNP Executive, can in fact now go ahead? Mr Speaker, it is true that the priorities that I believe many people in Scotland want to see followed, and that is new investment in health and new investment in transport and new investment in education, are now the victims of SNP policies that are being adopted in the Scottish Parliament. And I believe that, I believe that public opinion, whether from local authorities or around the country, will press, as the Honourable Member is, that the education programme of expansion goes ahead, that the transport programme goes ahead, and that the health programme goes ahead. But unfortunately, the rate of increase in education and health expenditure has been cut below that of the United Kingdom as a result of decisions of the SNP administration. Thank you, Mr Speaker. According to an answer in Monday's Hansard, employment levels in my constituency, the Vale of Clwyd, have gone from 23,000 people employed in 1997 to 29,000 people employed in 2007. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that Labour is working? Mr Speaker, there are 140,000 more people employed in Wales now than in 1997. There are 3 million more people employed in the United Kingdom now than in 1997. And the reason why the Conservatives don't like hearing this is that there were 3 million unemployed under a Conservative government. A few weeks ago, the Prime Minister was kind enough to agree to look into his government's attack on disabled and elderly fishing uh, anglers. He said he'd look into it. I still haven't had a reply to him. Please will he see what he can do for these people who've seen their licences go up by 37%. Yeah. I, I said I would look into this matter and I'll write to him. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Has the Prime Minister had an opportunity to examine the surveys by Mencap and others highlighting the huge variation in levels of social care for elderly and vulnerable people provided by different local authorities? Does he share my concern that it is mainly Conservative authorities, who are, like, including Wokingham and West Berkshire, who are refusing to support vulnerable people in either substantial or moderate risk? Does this not speak volumes for the callous face of Cameron's Conservatives? Yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, we, we have set, set aside 45 per cent increased resources for social care up to 2011, but many of these decisions have got to be made by local authorities to implement the spending decisions allocated by government. And we will be looking week in, week out at what Conservative councils are doing. We'll be looking at what they are doing in practice and in action, and we'll be looking at whether they are serving the needs of elderly people in that area. Yeah. Order. The Guardian.